0: I'm going to break protocol and I'm going to wander a little bit because you handed me a wireless mic and I don't have the pulpit. So I'm just going to sit here and just kind of actually talk. (laughs) Um, I think it's been something I've been realizing over the last couple of years as I preach and teach and talk with people that I care a lot more about looking into your eyes and talking than I do about preparing a really good lecture. So, I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to keep turning back and forth like this. (laughs) And uh, we're going to see if we can learn something together at this point. So, I I kept reading this this gospel passage, because, I don't know if you noticed, but there was this theme, right? Where it mentions this Isaiah passage first, which is the one that came first. And then you've got a psalm, which I don't know exactly when it was written, but then the psalm quotes Isaiah, or Isaiah quotes the psalm. And then you've got Jesus, who quotes the psalm, or Isaiah, or both, in a response to John the Baptist. So it, it happens every once in a while. We've got these Advent readings, or we've got these lectionary readings, that they're very intentionally, hey, this is really important. Pay attention to that part. Right? And so you've got this... this Message where I get the feeling that Whenever I go through the Advent readings John the Baptist is like the king of Advent Right? Like Jesus gets Christmas And God of the universe And like there's, there's, you know Jesus is up here and John is down here But when it comes to Advent If you go through Advent And you talk about waiting and looking forward To the coming of Christ And you don't talk about John the Baptist there's like this giant hole missing in the middle of the narrative, right? John the Baptist was this guy who he comes and he was born first, about six months-ish or so before Jesus was. His mom Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, cousins or something like that. You know, maybe in the cousin way that we say they're our cousin, but they're our third cousin twice removed by marriage. You know, I don't know how close of a cousin they were, but they were cousins. And then you've got this angel that comes down and tells Zachariah, John the Baptist's dad, who's a priest, while he's in the temple, he's like, Hey, just so you know, um, because having been able to have kids, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. And Zechariah says what probably any of us would say when confronted with an angel while going about what we thought was our normal day job. And we say, Well, how can I be sure? And the angel says, Okay, you just can't talk for six months. Thanks for asking. Right? So John comes out of the temple, and he's He's like really excited, but you can't tell anyone what happened You know, and so like he gets a tablet, and he writes down and He's like, hey guys, this is kind of what happened and they kind of figure it out and then he can't talk for nine months You know, if you worked with John, right? Have you ever tried to work with someone who's lost their voice? Right? <laughs> like I, I've worked with Melanie in the past once or twice, right? And she's lost her voice even recently, she lost her voice, and so she's like, Hey, Kevin, I need you to. And I'm like, why don't you just speak up? Oh, right, i yeah, sorry. Okay, I'll, I will practice patience. I will be a good coworker in the Lord. I will be a good husband. But, like, you get kind of tired of it after about 15 minutes. Let's just be honest, right? Like, just tell me what you're trying, like, come on. There's got to be a faster way. If you're going to whisper, at least shorten your sentences, right? <laughs> like, so imagine you're working in the temple and there's this guy who comes out of the temple and he's got to, like, kind of steal the limelight and say, guys, not only did I offer the sacrifice today, but I can't tell you really what went on, but I saw an angel. <laughs> right? And so you kind of figure, like, okay, we'll see if you can talk a week from now and see if it's just my angel, you know, like, maybe you just want to short work for a bit. That's fine. You know, like, okay, John. But then Elizabeth's actually pregnant. And then John is born. And Zechariah can talk again and he says, this kid's name is John. That's the one that grows up to be John the Baptist, the forerunner. The one who says, make straight paths for the Lord. Let's get everything out of the way. Do you see that guy over there? Look, that's the Lamb of God. That's the one that's going to take away the sins of the whole world. That's the dude. And so, John, being the guy that he is, you know, one of the Gospels describes him as this guy who's like eating locusts and wild honey, and dressed up in like just leather. And like, he's this like hardcore prophet living out in the desert by the Jordan River, which is not a very attractive river. You don't think crystal, like crystal clear blue water, think like really dirty and middle of the desert muddy water, right? And John's out there going, hey, all y'all. I know baptism is this thing that you're supposed to do to become Jewish, and I know you're all already Jewish, but you really need to get clean, so I'm gonna dip you with this dirty water to make you clean the way you think you already are. He offended a lot of people. (laughs) Not least of which, he, he preached against Herod, who's kind of the king, kind of a big deal. And then all of a sudden, he finds himself in prison. Spoiler alert, later on They actually chop his head off Because Herod's wife hates him that much And so he's in prison After having preached, after having this miraculous birth After having, who knows what kind of a childhood growing up Because maybe he got caught smooching some girl somewhere And his dad says, John, I am very disappointed in you I was not you for nine months So you could smooch a girl in the closet Like, you know, like, can you imagine that kind of a thing hanging over your head? Like, sure, Jesus also had the angels celebrate his birth, but he was also God, so he could kind of live up to it. John the Baptist was a guy. He was a prophet. (laughs) You know, and like, angels announced his birth. (laughs) Like, That's just, it's a lot to live up to. But he did. He did exactly what he was called to do. He announced the coming of Christ, he announced the good news and he was put in prison for it. And so while he's in prison and he's sitting there and it's cold and it's dark and it's wet and it's uncomfortable and it's awful, some of his disciples come to visit him and he's like, hey guys, I know there's that Jesus dude. I know there's that guy who I pointed to. I know there's that one where I said, this is the Messiah. I need you to go ask him if he's the one we were waiting for. Because I'm sitting here in this jail cell, and what I would say with confidence out there when I could see what was going on, I now need him to reassure me. Because I've been waiting for this literally my whole life, and I I just need to be sure. Can you go ask him? I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you're like, look, I have been doing this thing my whole life. I've been going to church my whole life, maybe. I have believed my whole life that people should be good to one another. But then this person blindsided me and the beginning to question that, maybe I should just grab something and stab them back. The things that you thought you built your life on. Every once in a while, you get to the end of the day and you go, I, I just need to tell me, I just need someone to tell me that's still true. The doubts creep in a bit, maybe. And you're just waiting for someone to tell you it's gonna be okay. And so John's disciples, being good disciples, they go and they ask John exactly what John told them to ask. And then Jesus answers, quoting this Psalm Isaiah motif from the Old Testament. He's like, well, what you should tell John is this. The blind receive their sight, and walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Just kind of throws that in again. there. What I thought was fascinating is if you go back to the source material, you go back and you look at Isaiah, that passage Jesus quoted came right after the prophet said, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have a fearful heart, "Be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with a vengeance, with a terrible recompense. He will come, and he will save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and they will walk. You know. And so Jesus, I mean, John is the son of a priest, right? John knew the context. John knew what Jesus was quoting. Jesus is quoting a passage that came right after, and here is your God. He will come and save you. And so there's this mission, right? There's this idea of this sending, this going, this doing, this this accomplishing, this kingdom of God coming and becoming the here and now, right? This heavenly thing that we've been talking about as the ideal, like, this is what should be. And then we're talking about, what if that actually happened and the coming of the Messiah is the part that's supposed to make that actually happen. So I was talking to a friend the other day about the church as a general concept, not just ours, but like what church is or what church should be, right? And I was kind of pointing out that I feel like oftentimes churches can get distracted because what we're trying to do is to continue to exist. And that continuing to exist is a victory. And I was like, look, that's setting the bar way too low. If we serve a God who invaded a fallen world and said, Hey, those who are blind are not going to be blind anymore. The lame are going to walk. The dead are going to be raised from the dead. This is your God. He is coming to save you. But hey, I'm really glad we can meet on Sunday and we're still here. (laughs) Maybe we can do better than that. I think the metaphor I came up with was that the definition of life in like a biological sense is that it grows, it adapts to its environment, it replicates, and it goes and it does something. Right? And so there's actually this debate over, you know, when you get the flu, right, that's a virus there's debate over whether or not viruses are actually alive or not. Because if you have the flu virus just sitting on a table, right, it just sits there, it doesn't do a thing. But then what that virus does is if it gets inside you, kind of takes you over a little bit, rewrites a little DNA here, rewrites a little DNA there, and suddenly you have become a virus factory. And so it kind of grows it kind of replicates. It sticks around. It doesn't go away. It doesn't die off. But it doesn't really do anything on its own. So is it really alive? What I became a little worried about the more I thought about it was what if somebody leveraged that kind of criticism against the churches in the County? Well, you know, you guys you guys can kind of take some people over and kind of assimilate them in. They might even go with some other people But if we just kind of left
1: you alone, you just kind
0: of sit there. Are you even really alive? What is the evidence that the Messiah, the coming king, the prince of the universe, the one who was there before creation was spoken, what is the evidence that he is in us? What is the evidence that we are? We've been saved in the way Isaiah was talking about being saved because he didn't say, hey, and then you'll be safe. Because Jesus quoted this passage from Isaiah to John and he says, hey, don't worry, your God is coming to save you. And then John got his head cut off before he got to prison. Right? So it's not a guarantee of a nice, wonderful, healthy, safe life where you've got lots of money in the bank. That's not what's promised. So then what does being saved look like? Well, if you take Jesus's quote, and you take Isaiah, and you take the Psalm, and you say, okay, what does it look like to be saved? Well, it looks like the God of the universe coming into your life and saving you so that you can go and help the lame walk again, so that you can bring sight to the blind, so you can bring life to the dead, and so that the poor will hear good news when we open our mouths. Can we just take a moment and kind of go, wow, what, how how do I do that? How do I I get there? Because I don't know if I'm there. I don't know if you're there. Maybe you are. If you are, great, teach me. (laughs) Well, like, how do we get there so that when we open our mouths, the blind see again, the poor hear good news, the lame walk, and the dead are raised to life. How do we get that kind of salvation because if we had that kind of salvation, look at the world. Like, that's the kingdom of God overtaking the kingdom on earth. That's the metric we use for success or failure as a church. When we open our mouth and talk, what do people hear? And do they hear that passage from Isaiah when we work? And if not, what do we repent of? How do we change that? And how do we bring that good news? That is how we are alive in Christ. And so John the Baptist is the king of that. I just made that up. Don't go tell other pastors that. He'll probably have some sort of theological critique. <coughs> for it. But within these four walls, gosh darn it, John the Baptist is the king of that. Because he knew what it was like to sit in prison and doubt everything he thought he knew. But then Jesus was like, Don't worry, he's still the guy. Because even when he has doubts, he's the guy with the right questions. Are you the one we're waiting for? And Jesus goes, You know that passage from Isaiah? So, when we come to this table, this is the God we're coming to. This is the God we come to worship. This is the king of the universe, not just the king of Edmund. This is the Christ who came and said, hey, not only are the dead going to walk again, I'm going to die to make it happen. Death itself is not going to survive my attack on everything that is wrong and broken in this world. I will defeat every last enemy, and the earth will be my footstool. I am coming. And he did that to redeem you and to redeem me. It's one of the reasons why I'm excited that in the free Methodist church I don't have to give some sort of litmus test to each of you before you're allowed to come to the of God's table. We just have this invitation where we're like, hey, if this is what you want, this is where we get So as we prepare to do the liturgy thing, the thing that you guys probably have heard before and that might be tempted to just kind of like let wash over you. The invitation is the invitation to come and let the king of heaven become the king on earth as well. So that even the dead will walk again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you for the gifts that it means and the sacrifice it represents. And so today, like John, we look forward to what you're going to do in our lives. We look forward to living something that is new and different and more than we ever asked for imagine And so, Father, as we, we come this morning, I just pray that you would give us some inkling of what is to come. helping us with communion this morning, come command forward. And I'll begin with this invitation. Yeah, grab a bolt and Or I can hand your to you mine too, I guess. So the invitation is to any of you who truly and earnestly repent of your sins, who live in love and peace with your neighbors and who intend to lead a new life, following the commandments of God and walking in his holy ways, we ask that you draw near in faith. Take this holy sacrament to your comfort, and then, humbly kneeling, you make your honest confession to Almighty God. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we confess that we have sinned and that we are deeply grieved as we remember the wickedness of our past lives. We've sinned against you, your holiness and your love, and we deserve only indignation and anger. But we sincerely repent. We're genuinely sorry for our wrongdoing and every failure to do the things we should. Our hearts are grieved, and we acknowledge that you're hopeless by your grace, and we ask that you have mercy on us. So have mercy upon us. Most Most merciful Father, for the sake sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, forgive forgive us, cleanse us, us, us give us strength to serve and please you you, in newness of life, and to honor and praise your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's continue our confession as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us and his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, ever as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory of your amen. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, who with great mercy has promised forgiveness to all who turn to you with hearty repentance and true faith, have mercy on us, pardon and deliver us our sins, make us strong and faithful in all goodness, and bring us to everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. now let us pray the prayer for Inner Cleansing, the Collect. Almighty God, God, unto whom all our hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts thoughts of our hearts, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. That we may be working with you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is always right and proper, and our moral duty that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Father,